0: Today on Chase Wildly, I sit down with Aiden Nelson. He is a musician, a music engineer, my dear nephew, and a very wise young man. We talk about music as a tool for change and empathy, quantum suicide, and the supernatural. We dip into his thoughts on the code of manhood in our family. You don't want to miss this one. Let's go. So, you're my nephew. Yes. You are my brother's son.
1: This is true.
0: You're 23 years old. Mm-hmm. And um, are you a man?
1: Am I a man? Yes, as far as I know. What I mean, is, what does that mean, right? I, I is that what know. you're just going to ask?
0: What does that mean? What does that mean to
1: you? Yeah. What does it mean to be a man? It's definitely a complicated question especially considering you know today's day and age we're kind of re-questioning all those um i think for me it's mostly about you know being resilient traditionally and historically i think manliness and being a man has been connected to like strength hunting and all that stuff that you know we evolved to become but we don't necessarily need all those skills anymore. We don't need to be the strongest guy. Like the
0: caveman, the more Neanderthal type of Yeah, archetype. I'm not, I'm
1: not you know, hitting animals over the head with bats and rocks anymore. That's good. That was a few <laughs> years ago. but <laughs> You've grown out of that <laughs> yeah. phase. I've grown out of that.
0: Okay, so yeah, it's not that anymore.
1: Yeah, but it's hard to pinpoint what it is now and if you can even define it at all. But I guess that's why we're here, isn't it?
0: I guess that's why we're here. Do you, I mean, we're we're part of the same family network and unit and, and tribe in a lot of senses. Mm-hmm. Do you have a sense of what you were given from us as a blueprint? <sighs> yeah, um,
1: of what it means in our family to be a man. I definitely have from my dad and I'm, I'm not sure if it's similar or dissimilar from Gary, who's my dad's dad. Um, but he has kind of instilled this sense of you know having some sort of purpose and I mean, like I said, resilience and being open to a bunch of different opportunities to be able to like spread yourself into a bunch of different avenues. Mm-hmm. Pick which ones you want to go down. Um, and a big word that he uses is being relevant, which I think is fair and, re- and relevant.
0: <laughs> what does that mean to you, being relevant?
1: Um, I think it means putting stuff out into the world that makes some sort of difference or do some work that's meaningful to you and or other people. I think it's mostly just... I mean, in the simplest sense, like finding something to fill your days that matters. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. Something that matters both to you and to the community.
1: Yeah, and that's not exactly an easy thing to do, but I think that's just the journey that we're all on, as Amen. men or women.
0: <laughs> Amen, man. And how? What have you found
1: to do these days? What are your- mm. so I. I guess I have to go back a little bit, but I mean, for a very long time, I've been a musician and interested in music and wanting to pursue that as a career since I was really young. I mean, I started taking piano lessons when I was four and then I started playing guitar right before high school. Um, And then I went to Berkeley for music. But for me, it's more of a creative outlet, I think just being able to put music out into the world that I enjoy and hopefully other people enjoy. And that isn't just, you know, words and chords, but like has some sort of deeper meaning. I mean, I hope other people can hear or or feel that and the stuff that I make, but I try to make it move myself at the very least. Mm -hmm. Um, I think music... Is kind of a connecting tissue between lots of different cultures and people. So I think that's an accessible way for me to kind of tackle that question of you know how do you find purpose? How do you stay relevant? Um,
0: when When you're playing music, is there you talked about embedding some meaning into it, something that that you think will help or contribute to society. Is there a specific meaning that you have in mind? when when you tackle some of these musical projects
1: yeah i mean generally what i go for is whatever's the most painful truth that i either don't want to admit or somebody else doesn't want to admit um a lot of the music that i make is on the more like aggressive side because it's mostly metal i mean i produce other different genres too but what's always resonated with me more is the, the kind of primal, um, I guess, outlet that it kind of embodies. I mean, it's a lot of it's screaming, aggressive music, and it's kind of just like this caveman vibe of like, oh, here's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everything that's wrong, and I'm going get to get it all out of my system and then deal with it.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of primal yelling going on.
1: Definitely. And I, and I like that. And I, when I listen to music, I want to be moved emotionally and forced to think about something that I wouldn't think about otherwise. Maybe forced is the wrong word, but Mm -hmm. coaxed into thinking Mm -hmm. about it. Um, and I think that's a lot of what art, uh, serves as it's to get you to question things and think about things in a way that you haven't before or wouldn't in ordinary circumstances
0: what's an example what's what's one of these songs or an album that that you created and and what's the hard truth that you wanted to expose in that period of time
1: um i think the most recent one for me was with my band back in boston which was called deer hollow and our last release which was an ep um, it was called to die alone. And it kind of was just tackling the concepts of, you know, loneliness and anger and being in relationships and trust and all that kind of stuff. Um, it was I mean, I think the whole concept behind it was everything ends at some point. And if we're willing to accept that or not, and when we don't, what happens, and when we do, what happens? Oh, yeah. Um, so there I mean, it's been a while since I've looked at the lyrics or even listened to those songs, but for my recollection, that's what it was about. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, And what's been your what's your concept of loneliness at this stage in your life? I mean, I, I know for me that my concept of loneliness has evolved over time. Mm -hmm. And the way that I thought about it 10 years ago is different than what I think about it now. So I'm curious, just what is loneliness to you? What does it mean to you?
1: Well, it's a place that I've kind of forced myself a lot of my life just because I consider myself a creative person. And in a lot of ways, I'm an introvert. In some circumstances, I'm not, but I get and regain a lot of energy just from being alone and doing my own thing, whether it's listening to music or other podcasts or even this podcast, which I'll listen to soon. It's released today. Um, uh, what was the question? Loneliness. Loneliness. Yeah. Um, So you
0: put yourself in these positions because there is an aspect of it that's rejuvenating to you. And I share that quality 100%. If I don't have at minimum 50% of my life in some form of, of reflection or solitude or personal creation time and space the the wheels start to come
1: off yeah the (laughs) thing is it's kind of a double-edged sword it's like i think there are people that get their energy from being alone but at the same time like once you've had enough of that like well then what do you do and i mean i put a lot of my time into work and being creative which i think is healthy and good for me in a lot of ways but i don't do plenty of things that i'm sure would be equally as healthy for me if i just engaged with more people which is just not what my brain normally goes towards Mm -hmm. i mean i'm friendly with people (laughs) and (laughs) sure yeah
0: yeah i mean you're a nice composed guy that's right yeah. You you reserve your primal yelling and aggressiveness for music, it seems yes. to
1: me. Well, I think a big part of it is, and I've talked about this with my family before, is I don't really have patience for like small talk and like on the surface issues. Whereas like I could talk forever about in depth, you know, issues on whatever, whether it's your mind or like strange physics theories that i don't understand (laughs) um i just like you know everything i do i want to have some sort of meaning behind it and so when i'm presented with situations where that isn't the case and when it's just people talking just to talk because they have nothing else to do that kind of bugs me yeah and i'm not sure why I developed that way, but <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I want to ask you about the aggression that you brought up earlier. You, you talked about your music as this way of of releasing, in a lot of senses, mm-hmm. aggression. A- and I wanted to know, where does that aggression come from for you? Do you think it's just innate in all humans to have to process some aggression? Was there an aspect of your growing up that required you to process some of that? Uh-huh. or do you think this is just your personality?
1: I think the answer is yes to all of those things. Um, I mean the classic question and answer, I guess is uh, nature versus nurture. and I think everybody's born with you know that primal instinct of you know aggression or competitiveness or whatever it kind of develops into as you get older. Um, but I mean, without going too deep into it, I, I mean, I was very, very fortunate growing up in most ways, but I mean, I had some parental issues growing up that I don't really want to talk about that much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I think that's where a, a lot of that comes from too. I mean, you find... Ways to release whatever feelings you have through music, or you know, watching movies, or whatever people do. And music was the thing that I always gravitated towards to kind of get whatever I was feeling out of me, um, which was a lot. <laughs> and yeah. so I kind of I, I i moved towards more aggressive music. I think in middle school, my favorite band when I was Young was Metallica, when they were, you know, like gods to me at the time. But then I kind of graduated to.
0: Yeah, you did. That's like pop music compared to what you do now. I know (laughs) it is.
1: I I graduated to more, I guess, obscure, even more aggressive. I mean, once I started getting, you know, more intellectual about music itself, I kind of wanted to see. That aggression and emotion, you know, takes shape in the music itself rather than just the feeling of it and the words behind it. And a lot of the music that I write and listen to, it has this kind of jarring, you know, grabbing you by the shoulders and shaking you kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I, I don't know why people enjoy it or why I enjoy it, but it's kind of... It kind of brings you to the surface of whatever you're feeling and just accepting that, you know, other people feel this way too. You'll survive. Um, Life goes on theoretically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Does it seem to be something that truly allows you to release that aggression? And, and I've often, I, mean, I don't listen to that kind of music, yeah. honestly. I mean, I, I've listened to a couple of your tracks halfway through. <laughs> um, and I'm just curled honesty, up in a ball. Not because I don't <laughs> love yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's
1: difficult for me to consume. I think it is for most people.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, when I was growing up, I listened in high school almost exclusively. Well, I listened to two, I was sort of messed up kid. You know, I listened to two types of music one was super hardcore rap <laughs> and the other one was like Dave Matthews and Counting <laughs> Yeah. you know? But the super hardcore rap for me was my outlet of aggression. I could cuss, I could talk about destroying, mm-hmm. I could, you know, connect with the pain, with a trappedness, with all the emotions that were flowing through me from, from you know, 14 to my early 20s and for me it it did seem like a good outlet but people around me you know worried that because i was listening to this it meant something was wrong to me with me but I, yeah. but i really think it's the opposite i think it's it's that someone has found a way that doesn't hurt anyone else to actualize aggression
1: yeah definitely which
0: seems like a necessary process is that how you experience it?
1: Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I mean, I think aggressive music, you know, no matter what genre or, you know, whatever emotion you want to attach to it, I think it does serve as a healthy outlet. I mean, everybody has, I mean, I, I think everybody has demons inside them. Just, you know, some are probably darker than others. And I think everybody needs to kind of find a way to release whatever energy is causing that. And I think, another big part of it for me is this feeling of control like if it's me writing a song that's in that style that makes you feel that way you kind of feel like you have control over whatever situation it is even if it's for just that period of like three or four minutes or however long the song is and I think listening to it you know whether it's when it's not something you've written I think it does a similar thing where you feel like I can either handle this or I'm actually in control of this situation when I'm not. And I'm not sure what, why that happens in my mind or if it happens for other people, but music has always kinda had this sense of gaining control and I'm not sure why, but that's a recurrent theme in my life. I, have, I wanna be in control of everything, which is impossible.
0: <laughs> it is impossible, But but to get those glimpses, to get those moments of control. And and almost, I mean, you're connecting with something and having it come through you. Uh-huh. Um, versus, and then impacting the world versus the opposite, mm-hmm. which is how we spend a lot of our time. In reaction, in being influenced by exactly. stuff from the outside. Um, so yeah, that's, you, you're sort of switching where you're sitting in that
1: in that exchange, uh huh. No, we d- we definitely live in a world of reacting, for sure. I mean, we can see that in the news, just turning on the TV or looking at our phones. Like we want instant reactions or instant gratification, rather, um, and we're reacting super quickly to things. Sometimes we kind of just need to take pause, and you know, just consider what the real issues are. What's actually going on, and for me, music kind of helps put me in that place of realizing, you know, what's important and what's not, and it all really comes back to those primal instincts of letting go, whatever's bringing you down, and kind of just moving forward and going.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it reminds me of my relationship with nature. I mean, I, I use music for this as well, but nature too, very much. A moment in which you can go and sit outside and look at a waterfall or swim in a river, or something that takes you out of this other flow, which sort of seems like this flow of insanity that human humanity has created for itself, mm-hmm. that we often get stuck in, which is the news cycle, which is the 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 discourse and the dialogue and the rhetoric and the, yeah. the hate and the anger cool. and and you can forget that you're, for the most part, most of us are blessed and privileged enough that really the the madness isn't right here. But if we get caught in the madness, how do we bring ourselves, how do we bring the best of ourselves to the world? Mm-hmm. And I think music can be a powerful tool. It sounds like it's a powerful tool for you to sort of recenter and figure out what you can bring.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I really, I do think there's a lot of madness out there whether it's directly in front of us or you know further out but a lot of life is just i mean i'm only 23 so i probably don't know what i'm talking about but i feel like a lot of life in my experience is just countering all those energies and you know there's so many different realities i believe and this is only one of them so if you can kind of grab onto that and just accept That if things aren't going that great right now, either there's some other reality where things are awesome or that'll be the reality sometime soon. I don't know if you've heard of... um quantum mortality have you
0: quantum mortality no yeah. i've heard a lot of quantum stuff but not <laughs> quantum mortality this is about to blow my mind <laughs> lay it well. on me what is this thing
1: <laughs> i mean it's, i haven't done a ton of research on it and it's been years since listen I've we have no idea what we're I, talking yeah, exactly. about on here that's totally okay um, so it's basically this idea that there's an infinite number of parallel universes Universes, universes, whatever. Un-
0: uni- Universi?
1: I don't know. <laughs> um, and the whole theory, essentially, from what I understand, is that every near death experience that you have in this reality, you'll never experience your own death, but you die in whatever parallel reality that happens in.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. Say that again. Whatever near death experience you have in this reality, is a death in another reality?
1: Yeah, so our consciousness kind of jumps between all these parallel different universes, realities, whatever you want to call them. And so when something, I mean, death is the example that they tend to use in this theory, but if you die...
0: Some sort of traumatic...
1: Yeah, exactly. Event. If you come close to that, the only reason you come out of that unscathed is because you're your consciousness has kind of jumped to whatever parallel reality you're fine. in. so if you take that as truth, which who knows if it is, but sometimes I try to take that as truth. Yeah. It's a sweet idea. Then you can kind of <laughs> accept that, you know what, things are going to be fine. If I'm jumping from reality to reality, what's the worst that could happen? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it I don't could, know how we started talking about that, No, no. But,
0: it could ultimately make you a little bit reckless but, yes. um, but that's a beautiful idea, even if it's just applied to the concept that a trauma in your life or some catastrophic event, which you barely survive, or like you said, just a straight up near death experience is your jump to a new reality Mm-hmm. is potentially a jump to a higher level of consciousness.
1: Yeah, your evolution like f- or whatever. Your you your call own it.
0: evolution.
1: And mm-hmm. and you could
0: view it that way. You could be like, okay, the old me is dead. Exactly. And now all those things I wanted to do but felt trapped or couldn't do or whatever before, I'm free to do. I've got a new lease. I'm in a new, I'm literally in a new reality. <laughs> exactly and whereas before the entire universe was conspiring against me maybe in this one the entire universe is conspiring for me
1: yeah i think you can really take it to be a positive thing even though it kind of sounds like this dark kind of morose theory it's also called quantum suicide so that's the darker name for it (laughs)
0: suicide dude that is heavy yeah have you experienced one of these quantum suicides in your own life
1: I've had near-death experiences, yes. Um, it's weird navigating those and what those mean and if that is me to actually jump into another reality because, I mean, it c- can can just you, felt like you living. Can share?
0: What, what was this?
1: Uh, I've had a few. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Where was um, I? Let's hear it. I mean, some of it's just car accidents. Mm-hmm. Um One of the big ones, which wasn't that near of a death experience. Well, we
0: don't need to qualify it. You know, you don't need to compare. Yeah, but but
1: it was a very meaningful thing um, or event that happened. My one of my best friends at the time was going on a road trip to Santa Cruz, and he was bringing his other friend, um, and he invited me to go to Santa Cruz. And they got into this like huge car accident and both of them both of them ended up dying. Um, so like me thinking about, well, what if I had said yes and just gone on that trip with them? Like I would probably be dead or maybe I would have jumped to some other reality or something. But that was a big event in my life and that was very traumatic. Um, so I, th- I, th- I think that Kind of pushed me in a lot of ways to kind of go after what I want to go after and try and, you know, navigate or get rid of all the bad stuff that I had in my head or have in my head or, you know, was dealing with in real life. Um, so, yeah, I think although that was a dark moment in my life, I think that it kind of shaped me to be a stronger person, I hope.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. I can imagine it would. Do you Oops. What I almost think that the, a level of darkness is requisite to emerge oh, into yeah. into a higher consciousness or to, think so too. to to change some foundational beliefs in your life.
1: Uh-huh. I think you know obstacles in general and everything that we deal with in life that's negative I think eventually has some sort of positive outcome in the end whether it's you know you learn something from it you become a stronger person um it in my experience which is limited uh it's always opened some sort of door for me whether it's mentally emotionally or you know something more tangible like jobs or you know whatever yeah
0: yeah well and mortality uh, a brush with mortality tends to do that Mm -hmm. and maybe it's explained by this quantum suicide this quantum mortality concept Um, one of the guys on the podcast uh, Dr. Robert Macy on a prior, prior podcast talked about how he was invited on a helicopter to go oversee this piece of land he was thinking of buying and just off of a feeling he decided not to he just he said you know no mm-hmm. tomorrow i'll check it out and that helicopter crashed wow and that was the moment in his life when he decided you know he was done with the 20-year career that he had been in and yeah, the it next kind of day he starts yeah it pushes everything into perspective in that way
1: yeah now death and you know hard times really you know, make changes in somebody's life. I mean, if you're looking at it the right way, I think. Um, like I said, every, you know, bad thing that's ever happened to me has turned into something beneficial in my life. I think most of them I've realized what how that happened or what did that. But I think for a lot of people, they don't think about things that way. And so it's harder to kind of get over things. Not that it's easy at all for me to get over anything. I'm probably the exact opposite, but think being conscious of those problems and dilemmas kind of helps you like i said put everything into perspective realize you know this may not be the only reality this may not be our only life i mean it could be um what really matters in whatever time you have um you kind of just think about things differently and realize what you want out of life and what you want to happen before you're done with it
0: yeah i want to understand how you came to this belief because it doesn't sound like it's a belief that that you necessarily attach or hold strongly on to but it's a belief that provides you a life preserver it's a possibility of what life is about Mm -hmm. that in those dark times Elevates you a little bit. And like you said, a lot of people have different and contrary beliefs. Beliefs that instead are about, that keep them stuck. You Mm -hmm. know, that are, my life is terrible. That are, why does this always happen to me? Um, And instead, you look at this as, oh, okay, I'm jumping to a new reality. This is new opportunity. This is, and how did you come to that? Understanding. Where did that come from for you?
1: Um, I think initially it was a form of escape. And I think that's what music was first, too. I mean, listening to music, you're kind of jumping into another reality if you immerse yourself in whatever that song is or band or whatever it is. So I think having some of those ideas kind of gave me enough wiggle room to accept whatever was going on and maybe even accept maybe it wasn't even going on. And, you know, all the universes in the world could just be in my head or your head or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so having some sort of separation between mind and body, I think is what did that for me. And I'm not, I think growing up in the circumstances I did, I think contributed to that a lot. I think there's a lot of dissociation that goes on in my head.
0: Yeah, well I was just <laughs> gonna say that. Cause I had I had the same thing. I don't wanna cut your story short, but I had the same thing going yeah. on in my life, which was developing a lot of disassociative tendencies when things were going on that, that made me super uncomfortable. You know, the ability to, to literally extract yourself from present life and live in another place with still within yourself. You know, but but also be separate, and and to be able to feel like you move between worlds like that. To be, yeah. you know, I, I think we look at people. We can look at it as a really negative thing because, as a kid, it keeps you alive, mm-hmm. you know, or it keeps you feeling safe to some extent. If the patterns carry on into adulthood, sometimes they come out as. Disassociating in other ways with drugs or alcohol or other bad tendencies. But it does give you a super valuable perspective that you can potentially use in life, which is that you're more than just your thoughts and you're more than just your body and you're more Mm -hmm. than, and you realize that you have a real visceral relationship, a real palpable experience in which you've understood that. You're more than the fight that's going around, around you. You're more than the emotions. You're more than your fears. You're more than this whole soup and cocktail of sensations that you yeah. experience because you've been able to watch it from above.
1: Definitely, and I—I I, I mean, I think that kind of behavior is an essential tool right. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, if you hold on to that tool long enough, and if you utilize it every day or however often you do that kind of becomes the norm and so you kind of have to fight you know being here being here now with this kind of dissociative whatever you want to call it um i think too much of either one is probably bad for you Mm -hmm. so you kind of need to ride that line of what's going to keep you going how far outside of yourself can you get to just keep going but also not far enough to where you're not even there anymore. So that's something that I'm working on still. <laughs> oh, bro, you and every
0: single other human yeah, being. Yeah,
1: I think so. <laughs> it's definitely not an easy one. I'm really good at it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you feel like you tend to do it too much at yeah. this point? Is that your tendency?
1: I think I'm getting a little bit better at it, but definitely. I, uh I mean, I just escape... In my own head, which more often than not, isn't really escaping, and just makes it worse. <laughs> mm-hmm. You just you know think about things over and over again. Um, but I find the thing that actually helps the most is actually doing something, you know, whether it's be going on a hike or spending time with somebody that you love, or eating good food. Mm-hmm. or um you know working on music whatever it is yeah i think the cure to you know f- this is going to sound so stupid and cliche but the only way to get unstuck is to just like get up and just like go and do whatever you need to do um <laughs> you're not going to feel any better if you're just stuck in your head the whole time which i still do all the time um but it's something that i'm learning to get better at and you know be active, that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, be creative. It's just a matter of finding time to do those things to stay, you know, mentally healthy and physically healthy. Yeah. They all play a part and all that.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. It's almost as if when we disassociate, we, we remove our essence from our body so that our body can experience this trauma or this
1: pain and you wouldn't have your brain wouldn't have to and
0: your brain wouldn't have to comprehend it really yeah. or experience it but then what happens even in these small times right even in now in life maybe if it's not traumatic but but we still disassociate there are backlogs being logged and created mm-hmm. within our body within our physical form that at some point need backlogs of energy that at some point- you start overflowing. They start yeah. overflowing and start coming out in other ways if you don't find ways to process them. If you don't find ways to let that backed up energy from that disassociative experience flow out.
1: Exactly. And I think that's the main reason why I do music is because that's one of the you know, healthiest ways I can think of to get rid of some of that energy
0: dude it's and it's also one of the most ancient human oh, ways of dealing with grief or hope or mm-hmm. sadness or you know anger i mean tribally like this was our collective emotional outlet
1: yeah for sure for energy yeah and it i mean one thing that i loved. this is kind of jumping somewhere else but one thing i loved about berkeley is you know there was people from all over the world so you you get to experience all these different cultures and so you know you kind of see how the music of certain parts of the world helps shape those people and how it influences their character and their personality and how they view the world so what i learned was like it, the more you learn about music of certain cultures you can kind of step into at least the composer what they were thinking or how they think i mean if you try and replicate exactly a, a song that somebody had written you know from somewhere else in the world it's going to feel weird and like it's not natural almost but i think trying to step into those situations that are unnatural or uncomfortable you kind of further yourself a little bit. And so that, you know, going to Berkeley, getting to see all these people from all over the world, that really helped me kind of uncover that truth.
0: Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, it's almost as if you're tapping into... Um, it's like in a video game, you know, where you you start as this little, you know, peon with no skills at all, <laughs> but then, like, you can access, like, the mage or you can access the night, exactly. or you can like access the car. So in life, this will make sense in a second, I swear. In life, <laughs> you access these other archetypes that that all of a sudden then gives you this new skill set or these new beliefs or this new way of seeing the world. Yeah. And music is an enormous way to do that. In the same way music does that, I found language does that too. If you can mm-hmm. speak another language you essentially can become a different human being when you're speaking that language. Oh yeah. You, you, you're immersed, you're connected not just to some language, but to the entire culture and history that made that. I mean, I find myself acting in all these different ways and and expressing myself as yeah. a totally different
1: human being. Well, I think, I mean, I think there's these like interconnecting webs, one, you know, being all of humanity and we all have something that connects all of us. But I think even smaller than that in different cultures, there's these smaller webs that connect everybody. And if you can kind of step into those other webs as much as you can, you kind of broaden you know, your knowledge and your horizons or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I just think doing that kind of exercise of expanding yourself, of trying to experience somebody else's reality from, you know, from their perspective or whatever. Um, I think that really helps you grow as a person and kind of see things for how they are or how they aren't or how they are somewhere else or how they are here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all, it's all perspective in the end.
0: It is. But, but like you said, it's also, it's two things. It's gaining perspective and you're also practicing discomfort. You're mm-hmm. practicing stepping outside of who you've thought you were. Yeah. Who you've attached to in a lot of ways, which may be keeping you stuck in who you, you have been.
1: And I think that's, again, one of the tools of dissociation. I mean, you could consider doing all those things, you know, dissociating from who you are, but at the same time, you're kind of expanding who you are to become all those things that you weren't before. So I think there's a healthy balance, you know, of trying to figure all that out stepping out as much as you can but still remaining yourself
0: yeah well and in that you I think every time you go through that process you learn a little bit tiny bit more of what it actually means self Mm -hmm. because there's some part of it that stays consistent when you move from Latin music to death metal to death metal (laughs) to classical music or if you move from speaking Italian to Chinese to English and or if you move from one subgroup of like ski bums to software engineers to mm-hmm. something else, raft guides, you know you, you notice how your ego likes to change to fit in and adapt and learn these skills and become connect to this sub-network yep. of humanity. But then you also realize that there's some essence of it that remains unchanged. Mm-hmm. And, and in the same disassociative way, you know, you see, you see what's the ego and what's the self, um, or, or you get seeing's not the right word because for me it's been sort of a, a, an experience and feeling. Definitely,
1: yeah. I mean, I think it's a strange concept, ego, because I definitely have one, and I feel like most everybody in our family has one. <laughs> um, but it's it's something you kind of have to conquer. And I'm not good at that yet. Um, And it's again, you know, related to instant gratification. We were just talking about this before we started the podcast, but young people are so inundated with instant gratification and getting things right away because of technology. And I think that's not really a healthy way for your mind to be trained because that's not really how the world works. Um, So if you if you can find a way again to step out of that feeling and that energy of expecting things to happen in a certain way whether it be fast or the way that you planned or you know ho- however you thought something was going to happen if you can step away from that and see that there is some some things most things perhaps everything is out of your control and it's just a matter of trying to plan for what you can plan and do what you can do but accept that in the end it's not necessarily going to go how you thought it would it might not go your way and if it doesn't that's fine you'll have another chance most likely um i mean you just i've said this a few times already but you just got to keep going
0: you just got to keep going what does your ego say to you what's your experience with your own ego
1: oh boy because
0: i mean you started to get personal and then you told me about this general phenomenon which i totally agree with is <laughs> this this you know chasing instant gratification and, and your mind sort of being trained that way but how have you experienced it personally how, how is it you said you want to be better at it what does that mean to you what will that mean to you
1: um well i think my ego tells me that i should be the best at everything that i want to be the best at which isn't directly unhealthy but i don't think it's healthy um
0: does it set a timeline for you on that i mean is it telling
1: you should already be the best uh or you are yeah the best? it's a little bit of both <laughs> honestly no one realizes it. <laughs> exactly it's, it is a little bit of that i mean i f- this is gonna sound really silly but i feel like it might resonate with other people and maybe. A lot of people but I feel like everybody has something in them or at least I feel like I have something in me and I it's like a it's this orb of potential or whatever you want to call it and it might just be the expectations you set for yourself but I really think it is unlimited and I think if you can just tap into that in some way And it has to be efficient and not damaging to you or other people, which is the tricky part. Um, I think we could all, you know, make happen what we want to make happen. Obviously, there's probably limits to that. Like, I don't think I'll fly tomorrow if I wanted to fly with my wings. But I I think, (laughs) you know, if you have goals for yourself, like I've always wanted to be one of the best engineers and producers in the world, and uh, you know that's not an easy thing to do. I haven't set that same expectation for myself for playing music, which is interesting. Um, maybe at one time I did, but I really do th- think, and I, th- I, r- I, believe that everybody has it. Is this? I for some reason I just called it an orb of potential, but that kind of sounds cool, so I'm gonna stay with that. But I think we just have to, you know, tap into that, find a way to do it in a healthy way um and i'm not sure what that way is for me quite yet mm-hmm. but i i think i mean it's so cheesy but I, I i think i could do just about anything i wanted to do if i set my mind to it and really worked at it but i don't know how realistic that is and if that's just my ego mm,
0: right you're not sure if your ego is just over inflated and fooling you exactly um Yeah, it's one way to find out. (laughs) Yeah, Do the work and then see where you're at. Yeah, Uh, no,
1: definitely. (laughs) I think that's the only way to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever experienced that?
0: Man, dude, my entire, from the age of 14 to 25, I looked at the world in a way where I was brilliant and why didn't anyone realize it? And why wasn't anyone listening to me? Because I could make the world a better place. Yeah. Um, And so I very much had this this egocentric existence, um, very critical of people outside myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And sure, yeah, I thought I already was the best, and I thought I was going to be the best in what I was doing at the time was software design. Um, And... You know, in retrospect, I I mean, was I good? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I certainly wasn't the best. Yeah. I mean, not that it even matters, but in retrospect, it was a joke to even think I was the best. It was all just a construct of my ego. Um, It was a construct of my ego that was probably the result of needing to be perfect as a child. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and so the only way to feel safe, the only way to feel deserving of love as an adult was to tell myself that I was the best in everything I was doing and to walk around like my shit didn't stink. (laughs) Um, And so I definitely had some of that, uh, had a lot of that. And I'm sure I'm sure. God, every few years, man, something happens, and I realize I've been blind to it. You know, I've been acting in in a certain way, and I've been blind to a whole nother construct of my ego that my yeah. ego has been playing out through me and and making me think this way about certain people. And it's so subconscious. I mean, it's not a thought. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like I'm aware of it. So the the fact that you're aware of this one aspect of it probably means you're pretty good at that one aspect of it already from my experience
1: well i i I mean i definitely relate to a lot of the things that you're saying it is i mean that's the damaging part that i was talking about is you know how how realistic is it how silly is it for you to think that you're great or the best or you know whatever you want to call yourself but i think i think the successful people of the world have a little bit of that in them and it's just a matter of controlling that in a way that's healthy i mean i i think it's this weird battle between ego and potential and it's not something that's easy to figure out at least for me um but i think having some sort of expectations for yourself whether or not they happen or not will further you to get to whatever it is you want. Um, I mean, I definitely have experienced my ego or myself disappoint my ego if that makes more sense. Um,
0: yourself disappoint your ego. like yeah, how?
1: like my what I create or what I do that I expect to be the best. once uh, it's done, I'm realizing, oh, that's not that good. And that happens all the time. But the thing that I realize about it is every time I do get better. So if I look at like, if we go back to engineering or music, first thing I ever recorded or the first thing I ever wrote was probably dog shit. In fact, I probably know it was. Um, But each thing that I do, it's not completely linear. But I think having some sort of expectation to be better than what I did before, at the very least. not doesn't have to be, be the best every time. But if I can get better every time, maybe if I get better enough, I'll be somewhere up there.
0: Well, I think you just nailed it, man. I think, at least for me, in my experience, you nailed it. There are two things. There's comparison and there's expectations. Mm-hmm. And those are the unhealthy aspects of the ego yeah. that we get attached to. The ego is super powerful in helping us execute and aiming at that thing and making sure we hit it. Yeah. But when we allow it to beat ourselves up when we're not there yet, you know, out of some fear or something, then, then we destroy ourselves. We don't give ourselves the time and the process to to progress, like you yeah. just said, to become better. Because yes, the orb of potential is true and the ego is true like yes you could be the best and you're not the best today
1: mm-hmm.
0: and yet you have to bridge that gap and the ego gets in the way when we get expectations involved and the ego gets in the way when we start comparing ourselves to anyone outside ourselves yeah when we say well why aren't you as good as him or you know he's 21 and he's a rock star why aren't you as good as him or you well, know you and go, then that if you go your progress
1: that's true if you combine these two theories that we're talking about, it might make even less sense, but I think Quantum about it all suicide. the time. <laughs> well, not just that, but if you, can, if you talk about comparison, uh, okay. perhaps, and this is a big perhaps, but perhaps the whole entire world and universes and all of everything that's ever happened is just a construct of your own mind. Maybe we're a video game. Maybe we're just in some computer. Maybe somebody's watching us just for fun. You know, whatever it is. But every comparison we make, every critique we make, could be, you know, a message or some sort of tool to get you to whatever next level you're trying to go to. It might just be it triggers something in your mind or forces you to work on something that you're not as good yeah. I mean, if I see I mean Instagram's a huge thing. If you see people, you know I mean I'm not super into it, I don't go that often, but almost everybody in my class at Berkeley, you know, has Instagram. And you see when people have successes, but do you see when they fail? Most often you don't. It's just a a compilation of your greatest hits you might say. Um, So I think when you realize that, and if you consider that maybe everybody in the world is there to make you a better person, you have something to learn from everybody. I think if you think about things that way, you may have a chance at getting closer to whatever your goal is. Mm. If you use everything as some sort of learning opportunity, whether it's you know affects you negatively in the moment or positively you know there's something to gain out of every moment i hope that's what how i try to live my life and one of the reasons that i don't have a lot of patience for the small talk stuff which we talked about before i i just want to get something out of you know every second and that's impossible but again having some sort of expectation that that's even possible might lead you somewhere
0: mm-hmm. yeah i think that's a good thing to strive for i think choosing to believe that there's something to learn in every moment and every action is mm-hmm. a is a really empowering and healthy belief i think that it is possible just sometimes in those moments when we feel like we're not learning anything we're not wanting to look at what we need to learn yeah definitely <laughs> i mean that's been my humbling super oh, humbling yeah. experience i'm like oh god why am i even talking to this guy <laughs> and then later it dawns on me you know what, what he had to teach me yeah or what i was supposed to you know oftentimes years later and then i'm really hitting myself because i could have learned it five yeah. years ago
1: no definitely no it's uh it's it's tough um i mean you can't be learning all the time but I mean I try. Sometimes well, I don't learn, try you but you <laughs> can learn
0: most of the time and then you can learn how to rest. Exactly. <laughs> Other times then yeah. you can learn how to play. Yep, Relax. And yeah. I don't think learning has to be I mean I think our culture our culture values some sense of progress. That, that really evolves around efficiency. How do mm-hmm. we make the systems more efficient? How do we create more money? How, and those are the values that we have in our society. And so it's hard to see something like, well, how do you learn to sleep better? And how do you learn to feel better each day? How do you learn to laugh more and help others around you laugh more? Like yeah. if those were societal values then we could be learning every minute of our lives without feeling guilty.
1: Yeah, that's a big part of it because I think those are the important things that we should be learning. But again, like you said, our culture doesn't value that as much as we value money. And so at the same time, it's kind of hard to do both because if you decide you want to spend your life learning what matters to you, you might make zero dollars. Mm-hmm. And you might make $5 or you might make $100 million. It's kind of the bet you make <laughs> when you decide that's the way you're going to live your life. So that's something also that I've struggled with. I mean, music... Choos- choosing
0: a life that isn't necessarily... Until you get to the top, it's not super lucrative. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's not super valued by society.
1: Yeah. Um. I mean, it's not an easy... Nothing is, I assume, but it's, it's a hard direction to take when, I mean, there's not really anybody else. I mean, you and uh, Justin, your brother, you played music too, but there's not really any musicians that do it for a career in our family. So, I mean, and our family's filled with very successful people, which is, you know, if you think about it, it, can be intimidating and you might set expectations for yourself and your ego might be like, well, I'm part of this family. I sh- should be just as good. I should be just as successful. But you kind of need to step away from those thoughts. Dis- dissociate, if you can, um, and do the things that make you happy and what you think will bring you you know, personal wealth, which isn't always money, but happiness love and laughter and all those things that make us feel better because how often does money make you feel better i mean once you get once you get above the poverty line you'll feel better when you have enough money to not think about it all the time but once you have enough money making you know a lot more isn't going to make you feel happier yeah, I mean, it's our it's our relationships. It's how we spend each day. Um, sometimes it's taking a nap.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes it's taking yeah. a
1: good power nap. Exactly.
0: That's right, man.
1: Yeah, I just I, we got to find the things that matter to us, which often don't matter to that many other people.
0: Well, and I that's a good point to bring up. And I think it's worth digging into that a little bit because it's it relates back to this idea of the interconnected webs that we were talking about, mm-hmm. which is this great tool for accessing skills and culture and perspective and language. But it can also feel like this trap, it can feel like you're a fish in a net and all the other fish are swimming one direction, but you want the net to go this other direction. Yeah. You know, and, <laughs> and and essentially you are. You're shifting. If you're swimming against the grain in some regard, if you're fighting some fight in our culture to change society, you're, you are. You're trying to push this entire net of consciousness in a different direction to some yeah, extent.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree.
0: You're still within the system. You're still connected to the expectations others have for you um, and to the values of other people. And and slowly but surely, you need to to try to find people to connect with you. Or in certain ways, you may also need to disassociate from what you're connected to. There may be a process of saying, listen, the people I'm hanging out with don't share the values that I share. Mm -hmm. The people I'm hanging out with don't have the same goals or interests that I have. And maybe there's an aspect of that to me spending a lot of time with them that's holding me back also.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, we need to spend time with people that give us energy. And I think maybe even the whole world has some sort of collective energy source that we all pull from during our day. And, you know, those energies push and pull in certain directions depending on like you were saying, who's pushing or pulling them. And if there's more people drawing energy and pushing energy in a certain direction, it's harder for the other people to go the other way or wherever they want to go. So if you can surround yourself with things that make you feel like you're gaining energy when you're doing them, mm. I think that's important. And I think that's valuable if you're trying to you know, fight that fight and do what you want to do and how you want to live your life.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's super important too. Mm. I wonder man this is a rabbit hole and a half but you know how do we know when it's the right thing because there are things to do we've already talked about finding discomfort right Mm -hmm. and and challenging discomfort to learn and to grow and yet we're also talking about finding things and people that give us energy and oftentimes it can feel like well this is hard so maybe it's not for me so i'm going to just find something else And i think sometimes you're really right when that's the case but I think other times we're just not being persistent enough. Do you have a sense of like the difference between those two circumstances in your own life?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've definitely experienced both of those. Um, I think persistence is definitely important, but at the same time, you do kind of need to realize when something's not working um, and maybe doesn't mean you stop doing that, but look at it a different way and see how you can, you know, metaphorically adjust your grip or whatever. Um, But that's a a really tough question.
0: It is. I mean, I think everyone is grappling with it at some level. I think for me it's the question of, I don't know, is it the difference between... Maybe it's this battle between ego and intuition, you know, sometimes our ego is aligned with our intuition or that of mm-hmm. potential. And sometimes our ego is attached to something in the past. And so we're pushing and pulling. My concept right now is that when we're losing energy, it's a sign that our ego and maybe our heart or that of potential or that, that true self that mm-hmm. is calling are fighting against each other. They're yeah. not going the same direction. I think that's probably accurate. And it's a moment at, at minimum for reflection, either to say, well, I'm pulling away from this person that I should just allow myself to go with, or life's trying to take me in this, enter- this direction, and I'm, I'm resisting in some way.
1: Yeah, um, I, I mean, I've noticed that there's plenty of things and problems that you run into where you hear a voice in your, in your head that tells you what the right thing to do is. And that happens all the time. But the thing is, those are like the small issues where you always know the right answer. And it's the more complicated, big issues. Yeah, god damn it! I know, I don't know why, <laughs> why does that have to happen. Um, but I, th- I think that's where persistence comes into play. I mean, the more complicated and deep, you know, whatever issue or problem you're dealing with is, I think if you can be persistent, you'll at least learn something about what you're doing wrong. If you keep going and adjust from there. I don't, I don't think it's as easy as just stopping when something's not going your way. Um, I don't know. These are, we're getting real, real deep. We're getting I'm, real deep. I'm going
0: to, I'm going to br- bring us just a little bit higher back to s- surface level. Um, <laughs> okay. Just for a moment. Uh And that's to ask about sort of back on the question of the tribe of men in your life. Oh, yeah. And one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you was because you are younger, not significantly. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're 23, I'm 35. In another 10 years, that gap will seem non existent. Yeah. You know, that's how age works. (laughs) And as it is with, with your dad and me. Yeah. You know, I was a baby when he was uh, just starting college, but but now in most respects we're peers. Mm-hmm. But what you have to offer me is perspective. And that is that when I was young, when I, and by that I mean when I was in my early 20s, I had all these ideas about how the generations before me had screwed things up. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you have a sense of that either in your family or in your industry or if there's any nuggets about wh- what it what it means to be a man or what it means to be a good human or how this generation has screwed up our culture
1: i want to hear those wow well <laughs> where do we begin I'm, yeah i don't know <laughs> if i'm quite smart enough to answer you know, how the generations ahead of us screwed up because I'm sure that they were just doing their best for the times. Oh, but the you're too is, diplomatic. Come on. I mean, the thing <laughs> is, I mean, I do believe that, but I think, you know, what perspectives change each, each generation. So I don't know if I can believe that, you know, they're causing problems for the next generations on purpose, but sometimes that's just what happens. Um, and at least in the music industry, I mean, the generations before us were kind of screwed. All the all the new people because there's no money to be made in recorded music. I mean, it's all live and touring. Um, just because there's like zero money in streaming, and that's what everybody does. Nobody buys CDs. I mean, v- people m- buy vinyl, but pressing vinyls incredibly expensive um so that i that's one thing where i wouldn't i still don't have an answer for how to fix it and i don't know if anybody in the music industry does it's like how do you get people this goes back to what we were just talking about how do you get people to value something which you value so heavily and pay money for it when now they have access to anything that they want for free essentially i mean you'll pay a subscription to whatever site you use, um, but it—that's it, one of the reasons why I kind of switched to doing more live music stuff, because I hope at least that that's always going to exist where people are performing live. Um, so it's a little more consistent money for something I like to do, and I'm still very close still doing sound engineering and mixing but it's just on the fly i don't have days to work on a song you have the length of the song to work on a song Mm -hmm. um which is exciting but the it's another tough question there's i think there's a lot wrong everywhere um and it's it's just about doing the best you can to avoid making the same mistakes now that you know that they're mistakes because I'm sure the people that made them didn't know that they were mistakes when they made them, hopefully. Um, But your other question was being a man and my family specifically, correct? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think think being a good man or a good human – or whatever you are. (laughs) I think it all comes down to just being kind to people, being resilient when bad things happen, learning as much as you can in the moments that you can. Um, You know, we all need releases and outlets, so finding whatever those are for you, whether they be music or writing or you know going on a hike or whatever it is or finding some sort of combination of things um i just think it's about finding yourself and realizing what you need what you can give other people um and how you can connect those two things to find some sort of purpose that benefits you and other people around you hopefully the world if you can
0: you are incredibly wise. <laughs> Is this normal for people in your in your group and your group of friends and the people you hang out with
1: to talk about this stuff? Yeah um, I don't talk like this with a lot of people, but the people I'm closest to yes. Um, I that's the only way I can really talk mm-hmm. in depth and in long doses, if it's something I care about or um, something that relates to the world or me or, you know, our collective perspective. Um, I just like, I like thinking about things that make me uncomfortable, so I do that a lot, and I don't know if it's on purpose or if it's just natural. Yeah, Um,
0: we need to talk about this. (laughs) Are you... (laughs) Do you ever worry that you're sort of a martyr? I mean, <laughs> I'm a martyr. you love. Is it death metal? Do we call it death metal? That's, or it, it's
1: one of the many metal genres that I enjoy. Yeah. Okay.
0: Death metal, horror films. You've I always do. loved horror films. Yes. And you just said you like things that
1: <laughs> make me uncomfortable. Make you uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that has some. I don't know. I'm sure, sure some psychiatrist could answer that. Um, <laughs> I think it's probably trying to replicate whatever situation I grew up in, like being able to... I think it's my way of being in control of what I can't control. Mm. Um, and having... I have this weird obsession with finding uh, new things, especially in music and in art where maybe it goes against everything that I've heard before um, or it's just incredibly creative and different. But most of the time, the stuff that I enjoy is the weirder stuff. And usually the weirder stuff airs on the darker side. Mm -hmm. Um, I just like things that push, again, my perspective into some other realm. I feel like if we can jump to as many different possible realities or universes as we can, and by whatever means, we'll get something out of that. So if I can... I mean, I remember one of the first times I listened to death metal and watching music videos. And for a lot of people and me at the time, it was like terrifying. But I wanted to learn more about it for some reason. And I wanted, I mean, I felt this innate connection to it somehow. And I think it was just the emotion behind it and that primal instinct that I kind of latched onto. Um, But I just, I like, that. I think that's a way to make me uncomfortable in a way that's comfortable for me. Mm -hmm. Because it's not music and art and movies and all that stuff isn't directly happening to me. It's something that I can somewhat observe and relate to, but it's not happening. You know, the violence isn't happening to me right now. This, yeah. you know, whatever thoughts aren't happening to me right now. So right now I'm okay. Yeah. If I'm seeing that or hearing that right in front of me, it makes me realize, you know, maybe things are fine right now. Uh huh. And it's hard to, you know, realize that sometimes
0: yeah (laughs) it is it's almost well it sounds like there's a few things going on there and i'm not a psychologist (laughs) but uh but yeah man there there's there's just being called to things and and not needing for there to be a reason Mm -hmm. and then there's also this concept of wanting to tame the demons the, Mm -hmm. the things that were scary and out of control and hurt you to realize that though they were that way at one point, they don't have to be that way anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's a fascinating perspective that you have, that you can use anything that, that recreates that same emotion, whether it's a scary movie or a type of music to, to, change that relationship within yourself.
1: Yeah, I think if you inundate yourself with enough of that material or whatever that makes you uncomfortable or challenges you or does something negative to your psyche or whatever, if you can control when that happens to you enough, you feel, your brain starts to believe that you're actually in control of those negative things that are happening to you. At least that's been my experience. Um, It's this weird... It's probably the same thing that happens with um, Stockholm syndrome. You know that? Have you heard of that? It's when, I like, have, if you're a kidnapper, you fall in love with your kidnapper, essentially. Right. I mean, it's not directly related, but you start to become attached to the things that initially made you feel terrible, because you feel like you have some control over them if you expose yourself to them, whereas if you try to avoid them at all costs, it's going to keep happening to you. Mm-hmm. And I guess my approach was if I have them, if I purposely force myself into those situations where it's happening to me all the time, then at the very least, I'll be more ready for it when it actually does happen, or my brain will be tricked into thinking that I'm in control of whatever's happening. Yeah. <laughs> are you.
0: Are you a happy dude?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I think it really. It varies, and I think it's a journey. Um, there are definitely some days where I'm happy, but there's definitely other days where I'm not happy. Um, I think that's the quest for everybody is to find a way to be happy all the time. But if you're happy all the time, how exciting is that?
0: Yeah, it's pretty uninteresting. Yeah, if you're happy all the time, I think. And I think, I think what we touched on earlier too was, was about, uh, I mean, I've been super depressed in my life and, um, at different periods, not -hmm. not through my entire life, (laughs) thankfully, but, uh, coming out of those periods has always felt like an awakening going back to our quantum death and our, our quantum yeah. suicide ideas and, um, and, and the ideas of, of the benefit of discomfort and, you know, tying a lot of things together. But uh, the two seem totally connected to me. And, and I don't think this is a new idea. I mean, I think it was the, the Dalai Lama who said, you know, my joy is not in spite of my suffering. My joy is because of my suffering. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um. Well, it's funny that you said awakening because it's like directly related to one of the songs that I wrote with my band. It was called Awake. And it kind of was about happiness and sadness and loneliness and depression and all those fun things. Um, and one of the lines was, I've been awake too long. And it was kind of referencing, you know, I've been in this state of being okay for too long. And I know that something bad is gonna happen now. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, I mean, I forget all the lyrics now cause I haven't done them in forever, but it's, it was this realization that you're not gonna be okay forever, but things aren't gonna be bad forever either. So you kind of just need to accept things when they happen and know that things will change, whether it's for the better or the worse gradually over time i think generally things get better
0: well that's yeah yeah i think so and it's brilliant i mean the awake um just using the metaphor of of how we spend each day you know mm-hmm. we're awake for the day and we sleep in the night and sometimes the night are full of nightmares mm-hmm. and we can't wait to wake up and there's a lot of work and a lot of shit that goes down in the night um and and if we looked at life that same way of like okay this is the day of my life yeah and at some point night's coming and i'll be ready for it and i know that day will follow again
1: i had when i was like 13 or something this relates to everything i promise but i woke up in the middle of the night and i was completely covered in like cold sweats and i was shivering. Um, and I felt this weird like tingly vibrational uh energy start at my toes and slowly go up all the way up my body and into my head, and at whatever you know climactic point that reached, I heard somebody some woman's voice. Right next to me, say, I mean, there was nobody there, but some woman's voice say, "Everything's gonna be okay," and I've hold on, held on to that moment. I mean, I don't remember how old I was, but my whole life, and I remember it vividly. And I, I try to live my life thinking or knowing, you know, whatever it is, that things are gonna be okay. You know, no matter what happens, and I'm, I'm not sure what that was. If it was my imagination. Um, or not but it i just remember it so vividly even the feeling and in my room what everything looked like and like the sound of the voice it was it was definitely one of the defining moments of my life so mm-hmm. far yeah and i, I mean I, I think about it almost every day
0: <laughs> yeah yeah oh, dude that's heavy man that i was getting tingles i'm freaking out right now. <laughs> i I just i just i just felt
1: like that was you know related to you know the night where there's darkness and you know being awake um there's just so much uncertainty in our everyday lives um having something to hold on to like that i feel like has been important to me Mm -hmm. but i'm not you know, I don't. I have no idea what that was. I had all sorts of weird, ghost-like yeah, experiences as
0: a kid. Right? Yeah, I've heard some of them. Man, you're super connected to to other realms. I think. <laughs> I think maybe if if you choose it, you could you could be a shaman of some sort in this <laughs> in this life. That would be pretty sick. Death metal shaman. Oh yeah, um, that would be fun. But uh, but yeah, the, tell. Uh, do you feel like that connection to to these other realms, and, and maybe you want to share other stories, but has affected your... I mean, we just had one example of where it's affected your faith that things are going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Has it given you other perspective on on
1: life? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, growing up, I always believed in ghosts or spirits or whatever you want to call them. Because you saw them. Yeah. Well... <laughs> I the first. I mean, I was a little kid when this first started happening. Um, but we lived on a Native American burial ground, and and um, that house. I mean, it was like th- the movies where newspapers would catch on fire, um, lights would turn on and off, doors would lock from the wrong side. If that makes any sense. Um, mm-hmm. And one night i I mean I was like a toddler or a baby or something. I was like two or three, I think um so one of your first memories, really probably, yeah, and I don't even remember it that well. It's my parents that like dug it into my brain um but my I was in my parents' bed um, and it was the middle of the night or something like that, or i don't I think everybody was asleep. <laughs> And my mom opens her eyes and sees this big, tall man with long hair standing above her. And she screams and jumps to the other side of the bed and tells my dad there's somebody in the house. There's somebody in the house. And so my dad, you know, looks throughout the house, obviously doesn't find anything, but all that other stuff, those newspapers, the doors, the lights, all that stuff kept happening. And for a while, it happened to me in our the house that they live in now. Um, so even after you moved, this, yeah, some of that stuff was. I always you. felt like it. Whatever that was, kind of followed me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would, I would be up late at night, and I would be in my dad's office, and I would see these train sets floating above, going in circles. And it, it wasn't real train sets. It was like white. Uh, Like, orby. Mm. Uh, I mean, like, if you could imagine... orb
0: trains? Spirit trains?
1: Yeah, I mean, it looked like a little train set, but it was not of physical material. Made of light. Exactly. That's what it was. Uh, That would happen. I would see my stuffed animals open their eyes and, like, turn their heads. I, I mean, there's an attic right in my room upstairs in my parents house i would wake up in the middle of the night and the light would be on in there when nobody had been in there and it's not easy to get in there um i had a weird thing happen in my friend's house when i was a little i was i was probably like eight or something but uh i'd go over to his house because it's down the street and i remember we dressed up in I think I dressed up in like a princess dress or something. And he, I forget what he dressed up as, but I remember we were trying to be like wizards and stuff and we had wands. And I was like, I'm going to move this couch. And then the couch moved. You bro. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not even joking. I believe you 100%. I mean, nothing like, like any of that stuff has happened to me in a long time but i just i remember each of those things so vividly i just can't believe that there's not some sort of other realm or reality or that ghosts don't exist or whatever it is because everything that my experience tells me is that it does exist and like i feel like i've communicated communicated with it I have some sort of relationship to it because i'm like seriously drawn to all these kind of darker things Mm -hmm. and i feel like that might be because i have some sort of weird connection to it but maybe that's all just made up in my head i haven't figured that out yet
0: well no i I don't think it is (laughs) i don't think it is man i mean yeah maybe you're just crazy but uh my my you know, I've been into some weird shit. I've gone down and seen shamans in the jungles and, yeah. um, and have been on a few crazy trips and my sensation is that, that, that realm exists right here where we are today, that it's, that it's overlaid and interwoven with, yeah with everything we're living. In. And there may be multiple ones, right? And ones of more light and, and yeah. ones where spirits are trapped or, you know, whatever it is, um, is probably beyond our human comprehension. It doesn't mean we can't
1: interact yeah. with
0: it and certain humans don't have a better perception of it.
1: Well, I th- I think also kids in general are, haven't been trained to believe that that's all nonsense. So I think that their brains are more open to it or maybe they're just not as developed. Because um, I feel like that stuff happens more. I mean, it happened for me more when I was a kid. Um So there might be something to that when that, you know, society trains us to believe certain things.
0: I think it goes back to that idea we were talking about of the interconnected web again. Yeah. Of like, if this is a belief that doesn't exist in this web Uh that you're going into, that you're connecting consistently to, you're trained consciously or subconsciously to recognize the same patterns that the people around you recognize. Mm-hmm. And you begin to shut out. I mean, our brain is super good at shutting out all tarts, sorts of s- stimulus. Yeah, you know? definitely. And, and we get so good at it, we decide some patterns are important, others are not, and we can, we could can ignore them for our entire lives. And it happens at the relational level, just in how we relate to people. But it could also, there's no reason in my mind it can't also exist and just what our eyes perceive as objects and what they don't, or what our eyes perceive as real and what they choose to ignore.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that there's plenty of things that we don't see every day that are still actually there, and maybe even there's things we see that aren't actually there. Um, One of the things that's kind of strange and sometimes I think messes with our perception of that thing is that we're constantly being thrown ads in our face and, like, in front of our eyes and all this sort of external stimulation that doesn't really mean anything and isn't important. I feel like a lot of times that kind of stuff gets in the way of what we have maybe the potential to see. Um, just because we're, there's so much thrown at us all the time with technology and our phones... And a lot of that brings us closer to understanding all this other stuff that we're talking about, like other realms and that kind of thing. But I think it might be an obstacle for our mind and our eyes in a lot of other ways, where we're not as open because we're constantly trying to turn that stuff off in our brain and avoid looking at ads. We'll turn ad block on, ad block on our computers, <laughs> or you know, yeah, yeah, not we don't we don't watch commercials anymore. Nobody watches real TV. For the most part, I mean, there's Netflix no commercials, all that stuff. <laughs>
0: Only old people. <laughs> Only watch old reality. people watch ads.
1: Um, but we're, f- our brains are now trained to shut off stuff that you know we don't want to see, and there's so much stuff that we don't want to see. Um, and that might be another reason why you know I try and go deeper into the you know darker stuff and weird music and all that stuff because. I want to tr- I feel like part of me wants to train my brain to be accepting of things that I don't understand yet. Yeah. Um and put myself in those uncomfortable situations where I'm forced to see something in a different way. And I think if I do that enough, you know, maybe my mind will be open enough to see you know, maybe there's somebody standing right next to you right now or you know some sort of energy that isn't apparent to everybody yeah but i think trying to strive towards being able to you know at least be aware that that's even a possibility i think is important
0: yeah well, i think i think the society needs a lot of people who know how to dance with the shadows so I, yes so everybody I tries you. to
1: avoid the shadows but mm-hmm. you know they're with us all the time.:
0: Well, and like you said, there, there's the potential that we're distracting ourselves from a lot of important messages mm-hmm. that, that could be coming through from those places. I mean I think of I think of you know, tribal rites of passages to bring this back to my to sort of what I am interested in and, and that's when people would go out on a vision quest. Essentially, mm-hmm. and you go out into nature and you spend enough time alone and enough time observing, not interacting with humans, but interacting only with the messages of the wind and the forest and the animals. Yeah, until the point that your entire relationship with nature changes and you are given an animal spirit, you know, whether it comes to you in the physical form or visually as real. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, seeming as real as anything. Uh, who's to say what that experience was actually like? But every member of the culture or the community or that tribe would go through an experience like this that that gave them that sensitivity to nature, yeah. that they had some palp you know palpable experience with with another entity, and to come back and to say, "I am the wolf," or yeah. "I am." the bear
1: yeah i think that kind of stuff is fascinating and i think anytime you kind of put yourself out in nature even if it's just you know for a short time you really do i feel like you understand something new about the world or about yourself or about other people when you kind of step away from all that and just put yourself alone in nature without you know technology you kind of see things for what they used to be when all the civil civilization didn't exist and you can kind of get in touch with the way your mind was built to be rather than the way it's trained to be right now and i feel like doing that kind of stuff has got to be beneficial for you i mean our brains there's no way our brains Evolved to deal with all the stimulation that we're inundated with all the time. And, you know, instant gratification again, having access to the internet 24 7. I mean, there's no way that that's healthy for our brains. I mean, yes, we're learning from it and we have the opportunity to learn from it every time we use it. But most of the time we use it, we're just texting somebody or playing a silly game or watching, you know, TV or movies. Mm And I just feel like there's, there might be a limited amount of stimuli that you can take in at one time. So when you when you go into nature, you kind of open all that up for you, for your brain to kind of take in and accept and process and perceive in a way that when you're not in that situation, when you're not in nature, your brain isn't turned on in that way. Um, a lot of the times, you know, it's it's turned off because our brain doesn't have to do that much when we have all this technology around. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe even does too much. Turned off. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's a weird. It's I think it's overexerted in areas that our brain, you know, never thought that could happen. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, it's being malnourished in all the essential ways that we have evolved. You know, to live, we haven't been like super civilization for that long. Um,
0: no, we haven't. And who knows how long it's going to last. I mean, there's a good chance that the earth or an asteroid or our own pollution decides that we have to reset everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure it's we inevitable. We have time as humanity to evolve into new technological beings.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I do think technology... And technological progress is important. I just don't think that we should lose sight of how we have evolved and what we need to feel good. I mean, it's just, it's simple like that because there's nothing about our bodies or brains that was developed to handle all this stuff that we deal with from day to day. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you go back just... I mean, 200, 300 years and you showed somebody this microphone, they would think you're crazy. They would think you're a magician. Yeah. You're some sort of heretic. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, TV shows and movies and podcasts and music. I mean, we're constantly receiving so many messages in ways that, like, historically we've never had to deal with before. Yeah. So... I just I don't do it as often as I'd like but I try to not expose myself to that mm-hmm. kind of stimulation sometimes.
0: I definitely do too. I try to take Yeah, you're very you're good at it. Oh, thanks, bro. <laughs> I try to take a week, you know, where I don't get on my phone at all. And and longer periods where I don't go on social media. And and then obviously, you know, I'll take 3 months and I'll go on a trip and yeah. I, I I won't, you know, maybe I'll check I check social media once or twice or send emails to tell people I'm alive. But I really value that time out there in nature, that time away from all this stimulus. But I think you're right too. I think that technology to me is like money in that it is an amplifier of what is there. Mm -hmm. And the problem for me is that what is there isn't super good. And what I mean by that is our habits as people aren't where we need them to be our values as a culture aren't where we need them to be Mm -hmm. so we see the things that are amplified are the the neurosis are the the ugly and hateful aspects of ourselves are amplified and it's an opportunity because now we can see them crystal clear it's an opportunity to go and heal them some of us can see them a lot of us are blind to them yeah but you know, when I worked, I worked 10 years almost in software. And one of the reasons I left was because w- there was so billions and billions of dollars and technologies being developed going towards distracting people towards games. Yeah. Zynga and, and these other game apps, you know, we were, were having IPOs in the billions at that time. And, and yet take one of those transactions and put that money towards ending human trafficking or yeah. a genocide in a certain country or, you know, a homeless problem in a single city. And, uh, you know, or, or, or don't make it an either or, but how could you utilize a billion dollars in technology to help solve those problems? Yeah. And that goes back to the question we had earlier of like, what are the values
1: yeah of the society exactly i mean it's weird thinking about how much money is made and can be made in technology for a lot of fields that don't really benefit anybody or anything i mean yeah they're a quick (laughs) distraction and can make you feel good for i don't know like 30 seconds Mm -hmm. and then you might get addicted to that and you'll feel like you need that to feel okay and it's it's this weird trap that a lot of these companies are setting for everybody. You know, it's again back to the instant gratification. They give you just just enough gratification, but not too much, so where you feel too good and you're like, "Oh, I'm good. I don't need to play this anymore." It's just enough so you're like, "Oh, I feel a little better now. I'll keep going because I want to feel, you know, I want to keep feeling better." I mean, this is just video games, but I feel like so much of our whole social system and political system is kind of it's built that way to do that to us um i mean i don't know if it's purposefully to keep us ignorant about certain things i don't know if it's that crazy and deep but it could be
0: it certainly could be it certainly could be or it it could be as simple as wanting us to follow yeah you know just wanting more followers yeah um But either way, the effect essentially is the same.
1: Yeah. We're distracted from what's important in our own lives and in our communities. Yeah. I mean, so much about navigating life is figuring out how to deal with those distractions because there's so much of them now. I mean, again, our brains, you know, weren't made for this kind of thing, but we, or I guess we're doing our best to figure it out. But, I mean, if you can avoid to the best of your ability, those kind of, I mean, I don't want to say those kind of technologies because some of them are great, but those kind of traps that people set for you, um, I mean, I think it obviously would make you feel better. You wouldn't feel dependent on something to make you feel a little bit better. I mean, the same, I feel like, is for the whole drug industry where, you know, there's so many prescriptions and drugs that are given to people. I mean, forget about all the side effects, but like people can almost instantly become addicted to so many of these prescribed drugs that doctors can give to you. And what benefit is that really if if you become dependent on that? Like I mean, there's definitely things and diseases and illnesses where that kind of stuff is necessary, but I feel like so much of it is just overdone and overprescribed, and you know, given just to make some more money and to get somebody you know hooked on it so that they they keep getting it. I think um, you're
0: right. I think there's some malice in that, definitely when it comes to the medical industry with, yeah. of creating products that people become dependent on. As an income, for, yeah. to create an income source for someone else.
1: Exactly. I feel like so much of the world functions like that right now. I mean, like most of the internet, probably.
0: People are focused on making money, not creating value. Yeah. Not creating value to human beings. Yeah. And that's
1: pretty sad. But I mean, maybe super not for sad. them. They'll make, they'll make their buck.
0: I think it's super sad because you can do both. Yeah you can provide value and make money that way. Mm-hmm. I think there are companies
1: doing it. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the way to do it if you can. I just feel like, I mean, probably the reason that a lot of these companies don't do it that way is probably because that's the harder way to do it. I mean, doing something the right way in a way that benefits people and makes money is... Um, it's almost like Mission Impossible. I just watched well, all those movies. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's uh it's just like Mission Impossible. It's just, it's exactly the same. How's it like Mission
1: Impossible? Well, just, you know, it's it's uh it's a goal that's hard to accomplish. I feel like um trying to do good in a way that makes money. It requires
0: asking bigger questions.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think it's a I mean, they're harder questions to answer, for sure. And it's hard to find something that people want that benefits them, that'll make money. That's true, too. Because
0: um, people, at the same time, also want the easy thing.
1: Exactly. The now thing. The thing that allows the them
0: to avoid the discomfort. That, yeah,
1: or even the cheaper thing. And sometimes the thing yeah. that benefits benefits us the most, you know, ain't that cheap. Yeah. So... I don't know. Lots of tough, lots of tough tough stuff. Questions.
0: Well, it is an absolute honor to talk with you, Aiden. (laughs) You are so wise, and I feel like I've learned so much in this conversation.
1: Oh, me too. I want to
0: ask you uh, one more question, which is: Can you think of a challenge or an exercise that you would have for anyone who ends up listening to this, for them to go do in their own life? It, yeah. In some week or in some um, period of
1: time. I challenge you, it doesn't have to be death metal, but I challenge you to listen to some sort of music that you've never listened to before or you've never enjoyed before and kind of just let yourself lean into it and sit back try and understand what that person was thinking what they're trying to get across to the listener um i feel like doing that kind of thing is practice for being open to other perspectives i mean it's like it's an easier form of reading if you look at it that way you're just you're going into somebody's head for a little bit and i feel like if you can do that you can get better at empathy um and then if everybody was a little bit better at that, I think there wouldn't be quite so many complicated questions we'd have to answer. Hey, man,
0: <laughs> beautiful challenge. All right, people, go push yourself outside your comfort zone with that and learn a little empathy through an amazing exercise that I'm going to go do immediately. What's your, uh, your band was called Deer Hollow.
1: Deer Hollow, like the animal.
0: And what was the album?
1: A good one to listen to is called "To Die Alone."
0: Okay, I'll probably do that. To die
1: alone. Okay, see if you can get rid of, get through the whole thing. (laughs) I'm gonna do it. It's only four songs.
0: Have you listened to Mike Posner album? Do you know who he is? Mike. He sang the song "I Took a Pill in Ibiza" or whatever. No. He just came out with a new album, and his style has changed a lot. But he, as he released it, he said the introduction, the first track, is an introduction that says this song or this album is made to be listened to from the beginning to the end without interruption yeah without looking at your phone without talking to anyone without taking off the headphones and so that's how i'm going to treat this exercise okay.
1: i think that's the way to listen to music in general as impossible as that is most often
0: it's difficult yeah. but that's how it used to be yeah you just that was normal yeah I mean, that you can change. And albums used to be designed that way, not to promote some single, but albums were designed to experience from pressing play towards when the music stopped.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, I still try to do it that way. It's hard and it's not necessarily the way people want to hear music, but I think it's the best way to put a message across and, you know, create some sort of meaning out of it. Well, you
0: are a craftsman and a hero in my eyes aiden nelson thank you brother oh thank you what a gorgeous gift to talk to someone a generation below me and hear such meaningful and profound levels of thought now aiden's challenge for all of us is to select a type of music that you don't like or the type you like the least Select an album, listen to the entire album in one sitting, and think about the person creating it. Try to connect with what they were feeling and where they were coming from, and connect to what your own resistance is with these sounds and this type of music. Huge thank you to Aiden Nelson. His band is Dear Hollow, and you can follow up for his music and life updates at Nelson one on Instagram. Thanks as always to Aulichino for the music and No Sin Records for the audio production. Thanks to you for listening. Now go out there and love somebody.